Hey guys, it's Good Morning Nancy. So before we get started, we want to do a shout out for one of our favorite podcasts based on a true crime. I love this podcast and you guys will too because what they do is they talk about their favorite true crimes mm -hmm. and then they find the movies that were inspired by them or that have very similar themes. And I love episode 16, which is Deadly Dreams and A Nightmare on Elm Street. That is such a really informative and really great episode. How about yeah, you, Abby? I love episode 14 about The Conjuring. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, we love The Conjuring movies, so that's a really good one. Guys, check them out. You can find them at www.basedonatruecrime.com. It's hosted by Chelsea and David. Chelsea loves true crime and David loves horror movies, and they just combine them together. So check it out. You guys will love it. See you later. Bye. Good morning, Nancy, and happy holidays. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And today we're going to be talking about the 1972-1974 horror film. <laughs> now, I say that because it's sort of debated on when it actually came out. Uh, this film is called Silent Night, Bloody Night, and it was filmed in 1970, but there's sort of a debate on when it was actually officially released. Some people are saying that it came out in 1972, some people say it's coming out in 1973, and then I hear a lot of people say it came out in 1974. Anyway, we don't really know when it <laughs> came out, but we know it was filmed in 1970, and it was directed by Theodore Gershony, and produced by Lloyd Kaufman, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. He's the co-founder for Tra Troma Entertainment, uh, which makes films like The Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Juliet, like all those crazy films. And the film stars Patrick O'Neill and Mary Waranov and the horror royal John Carradine, <laughs> which I didn't recognize when I first saw the film. It mm -hmm. wasn't until I started, I watched it again that I noticed that I was like, that guy looks so familiar. John yeah. Carradine. Uh, he's in a very, very small role, but it's a fun role. Mm -hmm. So the movie was indeed filmed in 1970, and it was made really popular in, like, drive-in theaters. Mm -hmm. So um, it was actually released in November of 1972, three or four, we don't know. It was released in uh, drive-in theaters. That's a strange time to release a drive-in movie. Well, I know, especially since this was actually filmed in New York State. And I'm oh. wondering... Yeah, it was filmed in New York, and... I was like, okay, so it'd be maybe different if it was filmed in California, because November, California, it doesn't oh, matter, yeah, right? right? But I was thinking, like, what? What? <laughs> it also, what? for being filmed in New York State, doesn't look like winter. No, it doesn't. And that's why I'm like, it's got to not... <laughs> like, when is this... When is it filmed? <laughs> and... And where in New York is this filmed? Because it, if you're from New York, you know that it's just oh, like... Yeah. It's the snow globe of the United States. Like, it's insane. So anyway, it was released in drive-in theaters in November. Uh, we don't really know when in November, which is kind of interesting. There's not really much about this film, uh, which we learned while we were researching it. Mm -hmm. It actually, after it was came out in drive-in theaters, it 
kind of disappeared into obscurity. Like nobody really like recognized it or knew about it. And as you know, Abby, like a ton of very popular horror movies came out in the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, including uh, Halloween and Black Christmas, which were like major like holiday themed films. And those came out like in the mid to late 70s. Yeah. Uh, so Silent Night, Bloody Night sort of fell out of the out of the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until Elvira's movie Macabre on uh, WWOR-TV's Fright Night, which began in 1978, so a few years later, yeah. it was like a staple late-night television show, and despite like its dark subject matter and strange artistic style, like the network chose to show on Elvira's show Silent Night, Bloody Night. <laughs> yeah, know. the program I, showed it like every single year. And so, like, people started seeing it because it was on their local TV. Mm -hmm. So that's what sort of brought it out of obscurity. Like, people started, more people saw it on the television than they did see it in um, drive-in theaters, of course. (laughs) Thanks, Elvira. Yeah, that was kind of cool. (laughs) You can kind of say that Mystery Science Theater did that, too, with a lot of, like, really obscure movies and indie movies and old movies. Um, So Elvira really did that for a lot of horror, which is kind of cool. Yeah. The estimated budget at the time was 295000 which really isn't very much. But for an indie movie, it's pretty large. Right, yeah. So, you know, but I guess in, I guess in terms of, like, horror films, or, that was pretty large. But in terms of regular films, it was pretty small. Yeah. Uh, the film is actually public domain. So, <laughs> listeners, if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it before you listen to this episode, you absolutely can do that. Yeah, there's like a million versions on YouTube. Seriously, though. Mm-hmm. Like, you can watch it for free basically anywhere on the internet. So, is that how you watched it, Abby? Did you watch it I on watched one? it on YouTube, but um, I think it's also on, like, Amazon Prime, someone said. Yeah, and it's also on it. v- Vimeo. Vimeo has it, and I, I actually, <laughs> I have the DVD. <laughs> oh, 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 you're so fancy. No, it was like three dollars. <laughs> yes, and I bought it forever ago. Um, it's a very interesting film, and it's one of my favorites. And I probably sound like a dumb idiot because I love it so much, and so many people hate it. Or, or don't understand why I would like it. Uh, anyway, Abby's going to explain the plot to you. So go ahead, Abby. Okay. Um. So, Silent Night, Bloody Night is, uh, it's a film. That was polite of you yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> the whole entire film is narrated by a character named Diane Adams. She's one of the lead characters, obviously. Um, she's the daughter of this little tiny town's mayor and the town has kind of a sordid past so um she kind of jumps right into that at the beginning of the film you see this man like stumble out of the out of this big huge house on fire he just darn yeah and you're like oh wow what's going on here so she (laughs) she explains that that man who is set ablaze is Wilfred Butler, and he is the owner of the house that he stumbles out of. It's this big old, like, I I guess you would call it Victorian. I don't know, like but early it's American. Gorgeous. It is beautiful. It's probably one of the most beautiful 
houses in a horror film. Like, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and it's, like, chock full of antiques and stuff. So I'm sitting there, like, <sighs> drooling over this house. For those of you who don't know, like, Abby restores, like, old furniture. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Oh, my God. You were probably, like, super excited. Oh, I was. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh well. Um, so all of that happens on Christmas Eve, um... 1950. So Wilfred Butler is presumed dead by the members of the town. Uh, so one day there is a lawyer who pulls into town with his mistress. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, is it his wife? Or yeah, is it was it... very strange. It's very strange. I was like, she looks really young for you. <laughs> is it maybe your daughter? No, hopefully oh, not. Oh, dang. <laughs> nope, it's definitely a mistress. <laughs> so that's made evident. After he calls his wife and he's like, oh, I miss you so much, except I'm here with my mistress. So I actually only miss you a little bit. So the lawyer is there to actually purchase or sell the house. I'm sorry. He's there to sell the house to the town board. Um, and his client is Jeffrey Butler, who is the grandson of uh, Wilfred, the man who owns the house. Right. The guy that was on fire. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So he sends his lawyer there. Um, he The lawyer tells the town board that he, he would like $50,000 cash for the house. And the town agrees to buy it because it's been kind of a problem. It's like a little, it's starting to get to be like a little bit of an eyesore kind of thing. Like, you know, there's squatters and teens and stuff that go there and cause trouble. The town board offers to put the lawyer up in a motel for the night, and the lawyer says, no, you know, we're going to stay at the house. Jeffrey is supposed to meet me there to go over some paperwork and stuff like that. So he and his mistress go back up to the butler house, and um, they're, like, making out and stuff at night. He, like, has a present for her? Yeah. And I'm dying to know what's in it. We, <gasps> we never figure it out. No. So in the in the film... The lawyer and his mistress are in bed, and it's Christmas time-ish, and he hands her a, a present. Like, it looks like it could be jewelry. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what's in it? And he's like, no, you're not opening that now. And I was like, dang, like, that was rude. Like, I know. Here's your gift. He's like, Just here's kidding. your gift. <laughs> and then what happens? Um, So they're like, you know, mm-hmm. and this- Doing the nasty. <laughs> oh my god are we 12 no i'm 82 and i don't like talking about sex (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay so they're murdered (laughs) (laughs) by an intruder we don't know who the intruder is but he like you can hear him breathing and stuff he's like And he, like, chops them to death with, um, what is it? It's like a... It's an axe. Okay. It's an axe, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're dead, and there's blood everywhere, and then, like, you see him creepily put a crucifix in the lawyer's hand. So that's the end of them. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, our narrator is at home wrapping Christmas presents, and I don't know if you had noticed, but she is wrapping a birdcage with birds inside. <laughs> no. Yeah. Really? Yep. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. yeah. I was making notes while I was watching it, so I probably, that's probably when I turned away. What the heck? 
I was watching one of the reviews on it, and the guy's like, yeah, she's just casually wrapping some live birds. And I was like, what the heck? Okay. Wow. So, so Diane hears a knock on the door, and it turns out that it's Jeffrey, Wilfred's grandson, and yeah. he's coming to town to collect the money and go over things with his lawyer. But he gets lost, I guess, or he... He gets locked out, or like, no, he goes, oh, he goes to, to knock on the door and nobody answers. Oh, that's right. Okay, and so yep. he goes to the mayor's house. But he, like, takes the lawyer's car he like steals the lawyer's car and drives to diane's house oh it's so strange and she's like how'd you get here and he was like oh i took a car and she was like you stole a car (laughs) he's like yeah (laughs) like it's no big deal nbd just stealing my lawyer's car very strange so okay Meanwhile, while all of this is going on with the sale of the house, on the news we hear that there is an escaped mental patient from uh, a nearby asylum. Mm -hmm. So Diane, hearing the knock on the door super late at night, freaks out. She grabs a gun and opens the door, and it's Jeffrey. But she invites him in with a gun pointed at him, and he's like, Instead of just not answering the door. Right. But, you know, she was trigger happy. She She sure was. just wanted to point a gun at someone, I she guess. She looks like she's trigger happy. Yeah. The, the RBF throughout the entirety of the film, <laughs> for those of you. She has, like, a death stare she when she does. holds a weapon. Yeah, she does. You she's, guys gotta see this She's film. frightening. You really do. It's insane. Even if you're, like... <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> it's so fun to talk about afterwards. Like, <laughs> just get through the hour and a half it takes to watch it and just come talk to us. We love it. Oh, so great. Anyway. Well, Gracie loves it. <laughs> Abby thinks I'm an insane person. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. So um, Jeffrey and Diane kind of like team up to figure out why the heck he can't get into his grandfather's estate because he's like a key holder and the owner of the house. He keeps saying like, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but he keeps saying like, everyone's at my house but me. Dude, just break a window. Just and get And I have in. to say, so Diane actually, when Jeffrey walks in, is like, he's like, why you got a gun pointed at me? And she's like, or an escaped maniac from the mental asylum. And he's like, oh, okay. So she's like, so are you really who you say you are? And he's like, nah, I forgot my maniac card. Like, I left it at home or something like he that. He is so salty. He he's- is salty. He's got my God. The salt is strong with this man. He it has is. a joke, like a sarcastic joke, like every like such dry humor. Five minutes. It's amazing. It's so strange. It, it is strange, <laughs> because you can tell that he's definitely like, oh Diane, but he, ugh, ugh he's just weird. He's a weirdo. Okay, <laughs> so um, they end up driving back to town, and Diane is like. She's sitting in the sheriff's office, I think, or was it the town board office? It, it's like the the count. Yeah, it's like the because technically, I think it's her dad's office. Yeah, and he's the mayor. So she's sifting through all of this paperwork and stuff, and she finds an article about uh, the Butler House, and there's like all of these strange happenings there, and it has articles about how the Butler House was actually 
a mental asylum at one it point. Was, yeah. <laughs> we find out too that Jeffrey doesn't know a whole lot about his past. Like he was told that his mother had died giving birth to him. Yeah, because he was shipped off to California when yeah. he was little. Yeah. Yeah. When he was a wee little babe. So from New York to Cali, so he doesn't really know like what's happened in this town. The entire town receives these anonymous threatening phone calls. And they don't know, like, who it could possibly be, but it's telling them all to go back to the butler house. Just, like, go there and they'll figure it all out. So one by one, the townsfolk show up to the butler house and they're killed by an intruder that we don't know. Yeah, by the same killer that killed the lawyer and Mm -hmm. the mistress, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody can get a hold of anybody in this town. So Diane and Jeffrey are finally just like, F it, let's go back to the house. So they drive back to the butler house. And there, well, Jeffrey figures out his whole entire past. And apparently his grandfather had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. And he was the result of that relationship. Yeah. His mother's name was Marianne. So in order to kind of pacify and, like, make himself feel better about the entire thing, Wilfred releases all of the mental patients from the butler house. Yes, because he, sets he, them free. he turns his own house. It's so confusing. He it turns is. his own house into a mental institution. And he hires all these doctors to come in and live there mm-hmm. with the mental patients mm-hmm. who are in, like, houses, like, nearby. Yeah. And um, his daughter, Marianne, is one of the people in this institute because he raped her. Yeah. So, so it's sh- his fault that she's crazy and that she had to ship off her son to California. Right. So he admits her. Yes, into basically. into his own into this mental institute that he's created. Yeah. So she can be taken care of, quote unquote. But then what so why he just feels guilty, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why he releases all of the mental patients. Yeah. But then they come back and they kill all the doctors. Yep. Yes. And they kill Marianne. Mm. And do, they Oh no, they don't kill Wilfred correct no because yes oh <laughs> so he's the only one left yes so here's here's the big plot twist he so he ends up being the killer he doesn't mm-hmm. actually die in he doesn't actually when he sets himself on fire he doesn't actually die from it he ends up going away or disappearing or something or, well, no. right? or is there he the men- was there was a jeffrey said that his grandfather told him there was a squatter in the house that he set on fire oh, yes. and like yes. set him loose. That's true. So everyone thought that it was Wilfred yes. who had died. Well, they, they thought it was him, but they actually covered it up because they found out it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to like get rid of him. So he disappears mm-hmm. and they just use that body of the squatter as him and they yeah. bury that body with like a tombstone with like his name on it, mm-hmm. which it's so confusing. But if you really think about it, it's yeah. so interesting for Mm -hmm. especially for a a film that's coming out like right when slashers are starting Mm -hmm. like that was a really like that to me is an amazing twist like you don't i don't see it coming right first see it you don't think you think it's jeffrey what yeah what the heck yeah so okay so like then in a final showdown yes everybody's dead except for diane jeffrey jeffrey's father and then the wilfred wilfred appears as like a creepy specter person yeah so jeffrey tells diane what actually happened there at the house and she's like what i don't believe it and diane's father comes walking into the house and jeffrey 
and the mayor like look at each other and then they shoot each other. But they think each other's the killer. They yeah. still don't know that he that Wilford's back, I think. Right. So they they kill each other because they think that each other's the killer. Yeah. But you forgot to mention all of the insane people that Wilfred lets loose to kill the doctors. Yeah. They are the townsfolk. Mm-hmm. They actually created the town. They like, ended up staying there and like creating a whole life for they themselves. Did. So like John Carradine's character, there's a character named Tess, there's a character named like Maggie and stuff, and mm-hmm. they're all the insane people and they stayed put and they basically created a town. There's a movie that's very similar to that. It's like a it oh, I don't want to give anything away. Mm-hmm. But it's, it takes place in an insane asylum and there's a similar twist in that way. Ah. But um I won't tell you what movie it is in case you start watching it. Okay. But um so that's like really interesting. So like all these crazy people started this town mm-hmm. and like had children and like you know, but they are the ones that accidentally, apparently, accidentally killed Marianne. So uh-huh. that's why Wilford comes back and leads them all to that house so that to he can avenge. Yeah, yeah, he thinks he's doing it good, but he's a child molester. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the an creepy thing, child molester. Yeah, seriously. So the creepy, the really creepy thing is that like Wilfred sees Diane and thinks that she is Marianne. Like, he calls out, like, Marianne starts chasing her through the house, and she kills him. Yeah, she grabs a gun and just shoots him him multiple times. And then she, like, runs out of the house and is a hot mess. And then a year later, she comes back to see the Wilfred house, or the Butler house, be destroyed by bulldozers. And that's how the film closes. So, it's a pretty crazy ride. (laughs) Yes, and... Yeah, that's really that's that was that's really cool because this film feels like it's a slow burner, mm-hmm. but there's a lot happening. Yeah. And the last 10 minutes are like the the craziest 10 minutes. Yeah. It's because true. you see that flashback, which that flashback is super long. Oh my god, but the flashback is so creepy. The flashback is the best part of that film. It is. It totally is. The the flashback that we're talking about is when uh, Jeffrey is reading Wilfred's diary, and that's mm-hmm. how he learns that he let all of those mental patients loose, and like who uh, his mother was, who and his everything mother like was, that. yeah, and well, who his father was was his, <laughs> who was, was also his grandfather. Creepy, it was so weird, so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Bechdel test. So this movie sort of passes. It was actually kind of confusing. Tess, who's one of the mental patients who works for the county, she is on the phone with a character named Maggie. And they talk about um, Maggie taking Tess's spot answering the phones and being like the phone operator, I guess, Mm -hmm. being the operator. Uh, Because Tess, (laughs) whatever. I love the conversation that they have. Yeah. Can you come in? It's an emergency. I can't right now. I'm watching TV. That's why her her excuses. (laughs) Maggie, you get down here right now. television and get here um but yeah so like you don't see maggie's face in that scene like you do see her later and unfortunately when you do see her later they do talk about a man in the next scene that they're both in but on the phone they don't talk about a man yeah and so i maybe you guys can let me know out there like comment or uh send us a message like do you think that uh silent night bully night like passes the Bechdel test even though one woman is on the phone and isn't seen. I think it does. 
Yeah. I would say that it does, yeah. <laughs> I want to believe. I want it to pass, because that was kind of cool. Yeah. Most of the actors and the crew were from Andy Warhol's factory. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? That main girl, Mary Warrenoff, looked so familiar. And I was yeah. like, wow, do I know her? And I, I couldn't picture it, but... When I read that, I was like, duh. Like, Do you know what I recognized her from? Which one? House of the Devil. Oh, my God. Yes. She plays the old lady in House <gasps> of the Devil. Yes. Uh-huh. I was like, I God, like her face. I know her face from somewhere. I can't believe you remembered that. That's amazing. And then I am like looking through her character bio, and I was like, no friggin' way. Like, oh my... that's what I know her from. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you caught that. Because yeah. Because that's so, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. Yeah, she was a very good actress. She really was. I really liked her in this film, but I also really love this film. Whatever. Haters gonna hate. Well, she was married to the director, right? She was. She was married to Theodore Gershony. And um, so they all knew Andy Warhol. And so I'm guessing, like, that was how all of them got into making this film was because mm-hmm. they all just, like, knew each other from Andy Warhol's factory. And Which they just decided to make this. It's kind of bananas because the flashback in this film looks like a, like a sepia pop art. This film is an art film. Yeah, it is. This it is totally definitely is. an experimental film. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize, like, when you watch it, and, like, this is my argument uh, as to why this is a good film, nothing else like this existed prior yeah. to it. Yeah. Like, Black Christmas didn't hadn't come out yet. Um, Halloween hadn't come out yet. Um, Peeping Tom was, like, the only slasher film that predates this, as far as I know. Please correct me if I'm wrong. At least one that was, like, well-known. Like, Peeping Tom was the first horror film where the killer's point of view was Mm -hmm. was used. Yeah. And it's used in this. And Peeping Tom was a British film. And this was an American film. And so, like, this was one of the first, if not the first, uh, American horror film (laughs) that used the killer's POV. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that's phenomenal. No, it's really cool. And the twist is, I think the twist is really interesting and it's crazy, but Mm -hmm. yeah, this definitely feels like an art film. Do you watch a lot of David Lynch? Do you, I know you've seen a few episodes of Twin Peaks. Um, not a whole lot. I, I watched bits and pieces from Mulholland Drive and, uh, they kind of scarred me for life. So Mm -hmm. I was like, "Mm, they're really frightening. Like the dumpster lady. Yes. Like, oh, not watching this. Yeah, the worst. (laughs) That's the scariest part. Um, But serious, like, this film feels like a David Lynch film. Like, it feels like. I can see that. People are, like, awkward and, like, quiet and creepy. And and it's like. There's a lot of. There, yeah, there's a lot of scenes where people are just standing there yeah, and they're like yeah, listening to yeah. other people talk and where it should be maybe panned on the person that's speaking, it's panned on the person mm-hmm. who isn't speaking, which David Lynch is known for breaking all the rules in filmmaking, but making it work still. Yeah. And uh, this sort of feels like that. Like it, To me, it kind of feels like that, um, mm-hmm. especially John Carradine's character. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, he is one of the 
the mental patients that now runs the town and Mm -hmm. he and you think at first like why isn't he speaking like what is wrong with him and he just uses a bell to communicate and it's so weird and it's so awkward and even the lawyer though and this is why I feel like it's sort of an inside thing it's not used to be it's used it's supposed to be weird because even the lawyer like looks at him like why is he doing that just like the audience is kind of like what is happening Mm -hmm. um and it's so strange but you've because you learn that he's a mental patient like you know oh like that's why he's so strange is because of that you know what it kind of reminds me of clue yes just realized that just now because it's like if anyone has seen it clue is the characters are awkward and like the weirdest stuff happens but it is so funny and it's so well done and i see that a lot with this film too so do you know who says this the tear it down like that part where he's like, what yes. we, does John Carradine's character say yeah, that? I think okay, so. I think he's got something wrong with it, like his vocal cords or something. Because it sounds like he has one of those little, um, I forget what they're called. Stoma. It sounds yeah. like he has a stoma. But, but this is what's really scary is that, again, they don't have him say it like they like they don't pan to his character saying it they pan to the mayor right yeah and all of a sudden the mayor's just staring at nothing and you hear tear it down and the mayor's like okay okay and you're like what the frick who just satan Satan, seriously like who just said that it's creepy it really is my god what so you don't love this movie as much as i do it's and that's fine please tell me like what your thoughts are like when you were watching it like you said you kind of felt like it was a little boring yeah um yeah tell me about that i thought like the the acting wasn't terrible Mm -hmm. but it was a little bit like bland and dry there were yeah there were scenes where i was like oh this is boring kind of thing but um, I learned later that it's probably because it was filmed silently and then dubbed over. There's parts that like nobody should be speaking or that like they don't appear to be speaking in the film, but there's a voiceover. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's like a like a really early awkward like Asian kung fu film. No, and this you're entire like, film what? is ADR. Like it is ADR, the whole thing. Yeah, it's insane. I'm like, what the heck? When I found that out, I was like, oh, okay, okay. Like, that explains a lot. But um, it kind of also felt like a Lana Del Rey music video <laughs> for, like, a really, like, sad or, like, sappy or morbid song that she would write. Like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, my God. I feel like... <laughs> like an atmospheric music is going to start playing in a second. (laughs) That is such a great observance. Like, that's so... (laughs) This is also... this is. I'm not going to take credit for this line. This is from Mystery Science Theater when they uh, riff the movie Manos, The Hands of Fate. They said every scene looks like somebody's last known photograph. (laughs) And that that is exactly what this movie looks like, too. It looks like every single scene is somebody's last known photograph before they went missing forever (laughs) yep like the camera caught them at the worst possible times but they were like it's a budget film we gotta roll with it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so gosh this is so funny yeah Uh, but i mean other than that like i really appreciate what it did for horror for the most part like i thought it was really creative the storyline was great 
And like you said, we had like a bunch of actors from Andy Warhol's factory. That's like a real treat, though. It really that, is. That's sort of like a really fun, like, like Easter egg, like seeing this. You're just mm-hmm. like, whoa. Like, I don't know. And I think that's why this movie, even though it's it's really kind of strange and obscure and I actually know a lot of horror fans who don't know about this film. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think I randomly found it when I was looking for uh, obscure horror films only. I think I just typed in like the top 10 obscure horror films like one day. Yeah. And that's how I discovered it. Otherwise I would, I probably wouldn't have known it existed either. Um, Because there's another film called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Which gets confused all the time. All the time for this. Yeah. Because I I thought that's what we were going to be watching when you wrote it down. And then I was like, this is not the same. (laughs) Weren't you surprised? You were like, I thought we were going to watch a good movie. What is this? What the heck, Gracie? (laughs) Sorry. I seriously, like, when I saw this, I really thought it was good. To me, it kind of feels like um, like a spooky ghost story that you would tell during, like, a holiday time. And, yeah, like, yeah. And, uh, you know, I know some people out there are probably thinking, like, what ghost stories for Christmas? But seriously, um, though, like... Hey, that's what the freaking, um, you know, the Scrooge story that I can't think of the name of. Why am I blanking? <laughs> what? A Christmas Carol. Yes! I had to type in Scrooge because I was like, why can't I think of the movie? I'm crying. <laughs> Dang it. Golly. This is what happens when you watch horror all the time. You, you start forget about for- normal movies. Like, <laughs> it's Christmas time, and we're like, what's the name of that Christmas movie that everyone, that everyone knows? knows? <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. We got it. We're good. We're good. We got it. <laughs> okay. And to me, like, that brings us to our final thought. Like, how do you feel about Christmas horror movies, Abby? Like, is it too ironic for it to work? Actually, I this thought literally just popped into my head when you were just saying what you were, we were talking about, like, Ghosts of Christmas and stuff. The holidays are, you know, when you're supposed to be spending time with your family mm-hmm. and everything. So, like, if someone has passed away that you spent your whole life around and stuff and they're not there during Christmas, that's like an easy setup for a haunting. Absolutely. You know, because you're like constantly thinking about them and it's supposed to be like a happy, joyous event and it's like just not working for you because you're missing that person. I think that it provides a really good opportunity for like ghost stories and stuff like that. I think that's great. But also, I think that it is it adds a lot of irony to yeah. like the whole feeling of the film because it's supposed to be like a happy time, and you know you're thinking about spending time with your loved ones and like eating a big dinner, and it's kish, but it works. Yeah, it's not too ironic to work. It's because it's ironic, it works, mm-hmm. and I think that that's I think that's one of the best things to ever happen to the horror genre. Yeah. is to have like a holiday themed horror movie because even Mm. halloween even though that takes in the movie trick-or-treat even though those take place on halloween there is a there is a a heightened sense of eeriness yeah because it takes place on an ancient holiday Mm -hmm. and christmas is also an ancient holiday yeah that really we can argue back and forth with people who might not agree but it is a pagan holiday Mm -hmm. in itself really and so there is a sort of like eeriness to having 
um, horrible things or very scary things happen on those holidays. So yeah, I think you made a really good point too. That's amazing. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. Uh, Next time we'll be talking about one of our favorite vampire movies. And let's give everyone a hint, okay? There's no sparkling and there's no suaveness. There's the the vampires aren't beautiful. So that's a hint. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, For those of you who celebrate, have a wonderful holiday this year and every year. Thanks for listening. Bye.